Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, if this is your first time here, <clears throat> excuse me, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, glad you could be with us here on this Sunday. This is a, a special Sunday for us as a congregation because it's Baptism Sunday, and so you see some people around with these shirts. I feel like I got to explain them all the time because people are saying, what is that? It's water, uh, a teardrop. Now, there's water here, and this right here represents the trough here uh, because we believe it's been God's good gift to us to, uh, to create horses so that you have to create a horse trough, and we can use it to baptize people. Love it, right? And so that is a day for us where some of you, plenty of you, who knows who, will be baptized today, and it's a beautiful picture of the gospel at work in someone's life. It is just an expression of God's good news stamped on people's lives, and uh, we're we're excited about that. And so if this is your first time here, great time to to celebrate with us and hear about what the gospel is and what God is doing in and through us. Uh, I just have a couple announcements before we get into God's word. Uh, The first announcement that I have is we are having um, a short-term mission trip. Uh, It's a global immersion. Now, the unique thing about this trip is we will have an opportunity to introduce you to China, to uh, countries like Somalia, Uzbekistan, Mexico, and so forth, without even leaving the city or the Phoenix metro area. Uh, The point of this is saying God himself has sovereignly brought many nations into our neighborhoods. And so how do we answer the question, what does it look like for us to be disciples of Jesus in the 21st century? And so we want to be able to equip, train, introduce, and expose uh, um, our community to, um, to each other to be able to make disciples in the name of Jesus. So if you're interested in that, um, you can stay in your own home. Uh, it's about $75. You can learn more about it and get more information on it at the website at redemptionaz.com. Um, or you can contact Pastor Jim Mullins and get more information about that. Uh, second thing is, we are, we normally we, we write study guides for the books that we're walking through, and so we've been going through Romans. Um, however, we knew that there are valuable resources that are better than what we could write that are online. If you go to the website at redemptionaz.com, there's links to those websites. But what we put together was a notebook, and this all this is is a journal for your notes for the book of Romans. And so it has all the verses and then spaces that you can write your notes as myself or whoever it is that's preaching that day. You can write in your notes, your study notes to have um, over the next six to nine weeks as we, we walk through the book of Romans. That's $3 back at the Connect Desk. Um, if you don't have $3, but you really want them, just tell the people there and you'll be able to get a copy. Uh, no big deal. So again, pick that up on your way out. Uh, now let's jump into Romans. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we're handing out to you so that you can read it and study it. Um, if you have the copy that we are handing you, you're going to be on page 610. Again, 610, Romans chapter 1. Last week we started this book. Uh, we said that it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that's in Rome. Uh, it's a group of people who he's never met, but he's excited to come to them and, and speak with them and tell them more and more about Jesus. And uh, more, more importantly, more and more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we pick up today. And verses 16 and 17 um, happen to be what most commentaries and theologians would call the thesis of Romans or the theme of Romans. It is God himself showing forth his power for salvation um, and also revealing his righteousness. And so we're going to be unpacking this for weeks, but today is more Paul explaining the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he begins in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God of salvation 
to everyone who believes. Let me pause there for a second. Um, when you're going through Bible study and you're studying through the Bible, there are certain key words that help you understand what the writer's saying. One of those words is for. For is a connecting word, meaning the writer is connecting something that he's just said to something he's about to say. So when we start off in verse 16, he says for, in order for us to understand what Paul is saying, what he's not ashamed of, we need to understand what he said before that. And so verses 8 through 15 is Paul saying, I can't wait to get to Rome. I can't wait to see you. I've been praying for you. I'm going to get there and I'm going to share the gospel with you to encourage you. And I want you to share the gospel with me to encourage me. And then he goes on in verse 14 and says, I'm an under obligation to share it to Jews, to, to Gentiles, to Greeks, to wise, to foolish, to anybody who would listen. I want to share it with them. And he says this. So here's the connecting verse, verse 15. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's saying, I'm eager for, um, now he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of this good news. Now, that word ashamed, it it means that something, an event that has happened that brings about to you disgrace or shame or sometimes embarrassment. And we all have had those moments, whether it's just shame or embarrassing. Um, Last week, um, last week, I, I my wife was saying, hey, were you laughing in, in the middle of your sleep last night? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I was. And I had this very embarrassing dream, and I, I didn't really want to tell her. But I told her, and I thought, I, I should tell all you guys, you're like my accountability buddy, buddies. And so anyway, so I had this dream, and um, <laughs> it's, uh, do you guys know who Justin Timberlake is? <laughs> so I had this dream that me and JT, uh, me, 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 me and Justin Timberlake, I'm at his house, and he's giving me dance lessons, Right? This is no joke, and I'm at, I'm at the, I don't know how I got there, whatever, it's a dream. So I'm in this dream, and he's like pop-locking, working it, I'm like, duh, you know? And he's like showing me his house, and then we get to his closet, and he's got this closet of just clothes, and he goes, yeah, I wore this in this show, and I wore this on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. And then I, I was like, I'm, I'm looking at all this stuff, and I'm like trying to make a joke, and I'm like, yo, where's your suit and tie, right? And that's like thinking it was going to be funny, it wasn't. So I started laughing, and I woke myself up. And I don't know if you ever had those moments where you wake up from a dream and like, <laughs> oh, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and Justin Timberlake's not here, right? And, and, and the reason why that's embarrassing is, is not because Justin Timberlake's not a phenomenal dancer, actor, comedian, everything else, the guy's great, um, is, um, like, I'm a grown man, right? <laughs> and and, and I, I shouldn't be having dreams about Justin Timberlake. Like, how, how lame is that, right? We, we all have... Um, we all have embarrassing moments. We all have uh, things that we, we are ashamed of. There, there are certain things that are more personal. They're not funny, right? And it could be shame of sin that we've done from the past. Like there's, there's, there's plenty, plenty. Every one of us in this room, whether you believe in Jesus or not, like we, we, we come equal to this. Like there's some things that we're just not proud of. No matter how long you've lived, how old you are, how young you are, there's some things you just go, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I, I, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want people to know about it. Like, I, I just don't want to be associated with it. But that's the past. And there's plenty of us that there's things that we're doing now that we can't kick. And it's like, man, it's still here. Maybe it's something that was in the past that came back up. Maybe it's something completely different. Um, may, may, I don't know what it is because I don't know your story. But I know for me, there's just certain things like, gosh, why, why? why? Like, I wish, God, you would just take this away. Like, you ever, you ever have that, especially if it's something like sin, right? And there's certain sins. You ever have that prayer to God? Like, God, if you don't want me to do this, then why will you let me do this? Like, somehow you want to put it on God. Like, just take it. Like, be real sovereign right now and just remove this. Like, I've had those prayers with God. Like, if you, God, if you take away these two things, I mean, three, six, if you take away these six things, God, then I will, I'd be all right. And so there's things that we have that we're doing now that we're, we're ashamed of. And, and sometimes, sometimes, 
sweet. Um, <laughs> I really mean this. Those of you who have children, let your kids cry. It could be that they're listening, and that was an amen, right? <laughs> they're so much further than the rest of us. There's some things that we have that it's, it's just association, like... Um, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're around people and they do something and you're embarrassed by it. You're ashamed by it. Like it's junior, the junior high kid whose mom shows up and like, she just, just showed up, just threw something on you. Like, Oh mom. And like all his friends are there. And it's like, is that your mom? Yeah, unfortunately. Or, or there's associations we have as Christians when there's like some obscure church in like Florida or Oklahoma somewhere that does something that none of us agree with, but they're like on the news. And everyone's like, that's Christianity. And like, we go to our friends that are Christian, like, no, no, I don't know. We don't, no, that's not what we, we don't normally do that. Like, um, that's one. The, the one that is, um, the one to me that is bothersome is, is like Facebook. Like, because Facebook has this thing on it where you can tag people in the pictures. And so people can tag you into a picture, and it could be something you did like a long time ago, like something you did in college, and something you wore in college, and your, your one idiot friend still wants to relive that dream, and post it on there, and all your new friends, your Christian friends, the people who you pastor, um, watch this, or see it, and you're just like, why would you do that, right? Like, there's plenty of reasons. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, there's one thing that I'm not going to be ashamed of. Like, Paul has his own issues, he's got his own past, and he's got his own sin issues that, that he will wrestle with when we get to Romans 7. He goes, I don't even know what I'm doing, the things that I want to do, I don't, I don't do, and the things I should do. So he gets it too, but he goes, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. And here, here's the context of that. In Paul's world, so whether it be Rome or wherever he's at in his missionary journeys, he knows the story of the gospel is the opposite or the antithesis of the story of the culture that I'm in. Meaning, he goes, when I try to preach to the Jews, he says in Corinthians, their cultural story is power. They're looking for power. And so when I get to the cross and they see a Messiah on the cross, they go, that's not powerful. So they reject it. And then when I go to the Roman Greco culture, there's this wisdom, it's knowledge. And I go, and when I say the cross of Christ, that's the way to ultimate reality, they go, that's not very smart. Like what type of king comes in and dies purposely? But then he says, but to those who are believing, but those who understand the gospel, it is both in Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. And so he says, I am eager to tell you about this gospel. And so what Paul unpacks for us in these very short verses, um, this thesis of Romans is there's two big ideas about the gospel. One, it is the power of God for salvation for all who would believe. Um, the second one is it is the righteousness of God. So it's the power of God for everyone who would believe for salvation, and then it's the righteousness of God. And so Paul continues in verse 16. First, the power of God. He goes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for, again, connecting, it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Now, first, we got to look at that word power. That word power is the Greek word um, that we get, we get the word dynamite from. And so you think about dynamite, stuff that blows things up. Um, Paul is not some being some cool high school pastor, like, God's come to blow up your life. It just, it's just using the word to say it, it changes things. Meaning the gospel is not a philosophy. The gospel is not just a concept. It's the power of God. It's not a power. It's not the power from God. It is the power of God. Meaning. When the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection is applied to people's lives, it changes them. When it's applied to marriages, it changes them. 
to relationships, it changes them. To people, to churches, to communities, to societies, it changes things. And and it's God's um, breaking and entering in the kingdom of God and his presence through the proclamation of the gospel. So it's not just a set of doctrines to believe, but it's the power of God. And so Paul says, I want you to get this. Um, The gospel is the power of God for salvation, meaning for everybody who would believe. He goes first for the Jew, then for the Greek. It's the power of God for salvation. Now, if you've been around some form of Christianity, some form of church, you've heard the word salvation. Like, that's a big word for us. Uh, that's a big word, and usually you heard it, usually saved, right? And you've heard people say, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you, have you been saved? Are you, are you saved? Are you saved again? And, and there's just like this saved language. And then all of our friends, and some of you who are not Christian, are going, yeah, we hear that. And it makes no sense to them. Because it's always like, are you saved from what? Like, are, I mean, are you drowning or something? I mean, like, what are you saved from, right? And so the language gets kind of weird for us, but we usually use the word You've been saved. But Paul has so much here in salvation that I'm I'm convinced that all of us don't really get. Meaning when he says of this, the power of God, meaning it is his sovereign love, grace, mercy, and beauty to do something in your life. To start something in your life, to continue something in your life, and to finish something in your life. Meaning salvation, this word salvation, has three aspects of it. It's past tense, it's current, and it's also future. A better way to say it is, Through the power of God, God's power through the gospel, the spoken word of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his spirit. Because through that, God has saved saved you from the penalty of sin. He is saving you currently from the power of sin. And then one day, he will save us from the presence of sin. And so we're going to break those things down. First, the past tense. You usually hear saved. That means you've been saved from the penalty of sin. That's usually the gospel in a nutshell that you hear from people that God is completely holy, good, and loving. We have rejected him, but he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. All of it. Past, present, and future. Every single thing we've done, we're doing, and we will do. Jesus went to the cross, and on the cross, he bore the penalty of our sin. We, we said this last week. The wrath of God, every single ounce, was poured upon Christ on the cross on our behalf by everyone who would believe. Therefore, we are saved. Paul says this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Pretty familiar, especially if you've ever um, shared the gospel with somebody or somebody shared the gospel with you. And in it, he says, uh, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you profess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Like, even when you hear that, many of us go, I remember praying that prayer. Like, I remember, I remember, man, professing with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He died on the cross for me. And, and, and I believe that in my heart. And Paul says, you will be saved. That's what it means there. And when we, we understand that, I think many Christians understand that. And so for those of you in the room who are not, like that's what it means. It means God did something. He saved us from the penalty of our sins. We realized we were sinners. And then God did that. And I'm convinced, talking to many of you, um, is that most of us understand that God has forgiven us. I think the hard part we have when it comes to the power of God and salvation is we believe in the power of God to save somebody from not being a Christian to becoming a Christian, but it's this now part, this current part, um, that that we have a hard time believing in God's power for. Meaning, here's what I mean. I'll sit down with somebody and I'll say, hey, tell me your story. Tell me what God's doing in your life. Tell me, me, like, the vitality that you have in in Jesus. And, And people will start talking about usually some distant past experience, right? 
They'll, they'll say, oh, man, when I was in high school, um, there was this pastor, and, 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 man, it was great. It was awesome. I walked down the aisle, and he baptized me. It was beautiful. Or when I was in college, I was part of Navigators, or I was part of Crew, or I was Young Life, or it was amazing. We would go to East, East Asia for trips and share the gospel, and it was amazing. And it's like all of these past experiences, and don't get me wrong, past experiences are really good. Like, when you remember, if you can remember the time that God saved you, that's amazing. Most of us don't know. I don't remember, like, the moment, the time. Um, most of us kind of remember the general area. But, but those are distant. And, again, experiences are good. They have its purposes. But you need something fresh, right? I feel like a lot of us are, like, just eating leftover food when it comes to the gospel. And, and you guys know what it's like eating leftovers. Like, they have their, like, it's, leftover food is good, right? But not forever, Right? A few years ago, uh, before we had kids, we were, my wife and I were leading this group, and it, we were supposed to be having this party, and we were co-leaders of a group, and it was usually hosted at someone else's house, and the guy was like, hey, can you host it? Can you get your wife or you to cook something really good? And I can't cook, and Holly could, and, and, she, and he says, there's going to be a lot of people, like 60 people. So I told Holly, we got to make food for like, you got to make food for like 60, 60, 60 people, like 60, 70 people. And so she goes, all right, when I get home from work, we'll get after it, right? Well, she makes this enchilada bake. And it was so good, right? 60, 65 people are supposed to come over. 15 people showed up, right? And so we had all of this food. And Holly's like, guess who's going to eat it? And I knew it was going to be me, right? And so the next day we're eating it. And it's like, this is really good. Is there some more? Yeah. And like the next week we're eating it. I was like, this is really good, right? I, a month later, we're taking it out of the freezer. We're heating it up and we're eating it. Now I'm like, this is pretty good. Is it almost gone, right? Like, I don't want any other enchiladas. I'm sick of enchiladas. I don't even want Mexican food. And she goes, are you sure? sure? I'm like, see, sí. right? I mean, it was just like, I, I, I don't want any more. Like, there's a, there's a point where you get to leftovers. You're like, this isn't good anymore, right? You can keep freezing it and bring it back up and make it fresh again. And this is not to discredit at all your story and what God did with you. All I'm saying is it's to give more credit to the power of God at work now. Meaning we, as Christians, we get excited talking about what God may have done years ago. But then when it comes to the vitality of our relationship now, we don't understand that it is still God's power at work right now saving us. That, that the language is in the Bible that says that we are being saved. Meaning that God himself is desiring in the work and through the work of Christ Jesus to, to give us himself, his power, to overcome sin in our life. And so we don't walk around when we talk about it exciting. And it, just, it, it sounds like old news. It sounds like God is not at work. And that's why when our friends who, who work with us or live with us or that we know that are not Christians, like they don't want to become Christians sometimes because it's like, really? Why would I want to become a Christian? Every time you talk about it, it seems like it's just, oh, yeah, I go to church today. Got to do this today, right? It's kind of like um, people talking about marriage. Like, we got to be careful, those of us in this room and our church that are married, because probably 65% of our church is not married. And, and, and it could be the way that married people talk about it. It's like, dude, what about marriage? Uh, it's harder than you think. It's rough. They're with you all the time. I mean, it's just like, oh, wow, yeah, I can't wait, right? It's like, you make it sound awesome. And if we're not careful, that's what we do with the gospel. Paul is saying, it's not just the power of God to save you. And I get it. Personally, myself, one of my biggest struggles in walking with the Lord is I understood God had forgiven me for my sins before I was a Christian. It was really hard when, like, those same things are, are, are still working in my life now. And I'm still wrestling with these things. 
And it almost like, I don't know if you guys have had this, like you, you kind of like, God is like, come on, you didn't know better then, but now you know better, come on. Like, what are you doing? And then we, have, we hear those lies that like, oh, a Christian would never do that. Have you ever heard that one? Like, man, a Christian would never do this. And you start questioning, man, maybe I'm not even a Christian. And, and, and part of it is we didn't understand at first maybe fully the gospel. Because um, what we do with each other in interpersonal relationships, we excuse people for sin. We never really forgive them. Excusing is someone stepped in your toe, like, oh, no, don't even worry about it, not a big deal. Just go along with it. And so we treat the gospel like that, that somehow Jesus looked at our sins and says, ah, don't even worry about it. Well, forgiveness is very painful. Forgiveness is a person saying, I'm willing and I'm choosing to take upon pain upon myself and not treat you as your sins deserved. And, and God didn't, doesn't stop there at the beginning. He's still looking at your life now and saying, I'm still not choosing to treat you as your sins deserve. And not only that, but the power of God is that, you, that God is working in your life that sin does not have dominion over you. So, so often, um, we will say things like, this thing has me, whatever it may be. And it may be a struggle. It could even be an addiction. Like you may say, this thing has me. And God is saying, it, it, it may take a while. It, sanctification, the process of which God makes you more and more like Jesus, it takes a while. And it's different in different people's lives. You may be having a good week and the person next to you is going, that's me. Like I'm in it. I feel like this has me. And Paul says, no, it doesn't. God has you. He owns you. He loves you. He has given you his power even in the midst of this. It may get ugly and messy, but he is still with you in the midst of it. When Paul says week one, we talked about last week, he says he identifies himself as a slave, meaning I am owned by God. And, and, and the way that Paul says this, if, you, if you're in Romans 1, turn over to Romans 6, verses 12, talking about the power that God now in us, that we are freed from the power of sin. Verses 12 says, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from, from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, in your darkest moments, in that residual sin, that continual sin, sometimes that secret sin, that pet sin, the truth is what we need to preach to ourselves. And here, there's 14 as one you could just tuck away. And it says this, for sin will not have dominion over you. Since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Meaning God's grace is not just, hey, I'm going to forgive you when you do it. But God's grace is also, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to empower your spouse. I'm going to empower your, your friends. I'm going to empower those who are in Christ Jesus to work through this. I'm going to empower the church by, by the same gospel that saved us to work through this. Because the lie of the enemy is to tell you, you're never going to get past this, man. What, oh my, you're never going to get past this. And Paul is saying, no. It is the, you may not get past it, right? I'm never going to get past it, but God gets, works through Christ through us. Like, that's the, that's the hope of glory. That's the beauty of the gospel. That God is saying, I started this, and I'm continuing this. Like, this is the ongoing work of God's power in and through us that we can trust in that moment. And here's how you know when you trust in that moment. When you say, I'm trusting in God's power, it's how you deal with your sin, not that you don't sin. I mean, I don't know, you know. We've had that when you become a Christian, you think you're done sinning. I thought, like, I'm done sinning. Like, six hours later, I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and, and, and you realize, no, well, how, how do you respond to sin now? And you'll, you'll, sh- you'll see if you're trusting in your works. Here's how you know you trust in your works. You wake up the next day and you go, I better do something. I better go to a small group. I better go to church. I better take communion twice. I, bet, I, I better do something. And then, and, or, or what we do is we wait for time to go by. You never do that? Like, wait for a long time to go by so that you can stop doing that. You kind of prove to yourself that you're not going to do that anymore. Then you come to God and go, God, I'm good. 
not even going to do anymore. It was bad, but I'm good. We, we did that to our parents, many of us. It's like we wait a long time to tell them, like once we fix something already, like you become an adult, you're sitting down with your, your family. Yeah, you know, growing up, just to let you know, mom, I was on drugs the whole time. <laughs> but uh, I'm good now, right, you know? And it's like, I know you didn't know <laughs> 10 years of my life, no big deal, but I'm, I'm there, right? And I think we, we do that with, to God sometimes because we're still trying to earn ourselves back to God, even though we understand that he's already forgiven us, even though we understand we've been saved. But when you begin to understand the power of God working and that sin does not have dominion on you, as you sin, you still hate it because God hates it, but you understand how loved you are. So like the weight of your sin, you understand the weight of it, but you understand the height of God's majesty and his glory and his beauty and his justice and his grace in Christ, that you, it, it makes you worship. It's how you worship. It changes the way you worship. And, and worship not limited to just the way we sing, but the way we live our lives. So there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a humility because you know that, that you were so bad that the God of this universe had to die for you. But then there's a boldness because you were so loved that he was pleased to do it. And, and, and you just, you just, there's a confidence. It doesn't come from anything else. It's a confidence that comes from the gospel. And Paul's saying it's God's power. You've been saved from the penalty of, of sin, and you are being saved, every single one of us in Christ Jesus now. You are being saved. God is at work in your life. Just trust in his power, not in your efforts to, to walk with him. From the, you're being saved from its power, the power of sin. And then one day, one day when Jesus comes, we will be saved from the presence of sin. Like we won't even have the opportunity to sin here's how Paul says it. If you're still in Romans 6, turn to Romans 8. This was one of these verses where when I begin to read the Bible, just tripped me up because my lack of understanding of the gospel. Verse 30 says this. And those whom he predestined, which we'll deal with that word in several weeks, don't worry about it. Those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And I remember getting to that glorified, that glorified. That means like um, Paul speaking in past tense about something that never happened, that hasn't even happened yet. Like, none of us are in glory right now. None of us have glorified bodies. None of us are in heaven right now. This, this world is not completely redeemed. But he says, listen, if he called you, you're as good as in heaven. And that made no sense to me, right? No sense. Because my understanding, my understanding of the gospel was like, God looked at my life and said, what a joke, right? And, then, and he said, I'm going to save you give you myself, and I'm going to get you in, and then the rest of this life is up to you. Good luck, right? Like, here's my word. Do as I say, and good luck. I'll see you at the pearly gates, and we'll see if your name's on the list. Like, that, like that, that, to me, that's the way it was. It, it reminded me when my friends and I first turned 16, they built this, this movie theater in our hometown, and um, my, my buddies got jobs there. And so whenever, when, like, box office movies were coming out and, and we didn't want to pay, we, my buddies would be able to get us in. They're like, listen, here's what we can do. We can get you into the actual arena, but the theater, sometimes they check for tickets, sometimes they don't. So if you're lucky, um, you, you can get in. So, like, hey, we'll get you into the center, uh, but the rest of it, it's on you, bro. Good luck. And you'd be looking like, man, are they checking? And like, I hope I get in. And to me, that's what I thought Christianity was like. Jesus is like, hey, I paid the price up until this point. Like, you're 18 now. You're on, you're on your own. And we have to try to get in there. Hopefully our names are on the list, right? And what Paul clearly says is, not only from the penalty of sin have you been saved, not only are you, be, only are you being saved from the power of sin, but you will one day, promised in Christ by faith in him, you will, you will be saved from the presence of sin. And notice that this is all indicatives, meaning this is what God has done. There's one part of this equation that we play. 
Meaning, so far through this process of salvation, of us understanding God's power, it's been all God's work. And you say, well, what part do we play in this equation? And the equation it is, is you give yourself. Here, going back to Romans 1, Paul says this, for it is the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes, which I love that. As a pastor, you have to love that. He's not saying for some people, for rich people, for short people, everyone who believes. Like there's a universal call of the gospel. Like every single person, no matter what your background is, no matter what your educational level is, no much money you've made or lost or stolen, right? Some of you, um, it doesn't, it, 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 it's anyone, he says, who believes. Like the only condition is that you believe. He says it's to the Jew first and to the Greek. And some people get tripped up like, why is it just the Jews first? You know, all Paul is talking about is um, chronologically, not priority. He's saying the, the way the gospel story unfolded is God worked through the Jewish people, but it's to everybody. Meaning everybody gets to get in on this. Like he, he says, I'm not ashamed of this. Because in every city that I go into, in every family, every community, no matter how jacked up people are. No matter how jacked up you are um, when you became a Christian, now as a Christian, he goes, I'm not ashamed of it because this does stuff. This is the power of God. And anyone who believes in it will have it. And belief is one of those things that um, it's harder than what it seems like. Because belief is, it's not just agreeing with a set of doctrinal truths, right? I mean, this is how this, this worked out for me. I came to college, 17 years old. And I thought, hey, new, fresh start, come to Arizona, I'll live, I'll live for God, right? I grew up around Christian stuff, but in high school, didn't, I like doing other stuff. And um, there was a, a, a fellowship of Christian athletes, it was an organization, it was a campus ministry, and, and someone said, hey, why don't you go check it out? I'm like, yeah, I'll go. And I, I'm thinking, I'm going to be a Christian. I bought myself a WWJD bracelet, so I'm like, I'm close, right? And I go down there, and ironically, this guy on the baseball team speaking, and it was uh, Tyler Johnson, who now is our lead pastor of all redemption, and, and he's talking about God, and, and, I, and I heard it, and, and I knew the truths. I knew God came in this world. I knew that I, I knew as I said, you, no one ever had to convince me that I was a sinner. Like, I need to, con- no, I know, right? You didn't have to convince me that. I knew that Jesus came to die on the cross for sins. I knew all that, but when I walked out of there, I thought, man, but you know what? That's not going to be me. Like, you can know the truth about Jesus, but believing is giving yourself to it. And, and not just part of yourself, not just, you know what, I have kids now, I think I should probably start going to church. Um, not like I'm married now, maybe my marriage, no, no, the totality of who you are. Like your thoughts, your desires, your passions, your dreams, like they belong to God. Like you were bought at a high price. And so believing is taking your entire being and resting in God, trusting in him. Almost a better word sometimes is trust, not just acknowledging that, that, you know, you can acknowledge, I acknowledge people are here, but I, I don't trust all you guys. I love you. I don't trust all you guys, right? You're, you're not watching my kids, forget that, right? And, you, you know, vice versa. Uh, they're, 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 but they're believing in somebody's trust and like, no, I'm trusting, I'm trusting in the work of God. And for me, my issue was, when it came to Christianity, from my view, I, I, believe, I, I understood those set of doctrines, but I just didn't think I was good enough. Because every other person I knew that believed in Jesus, they were just good people. And they did good things. And it seemed like they genuinely wanted to do those good things. And that wasn't me. Um, and, 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 and some of us were in that same boat. 
And so as Paul is saying, he's not ashamed of it. He's saying because God is doing something, he's continuing to do something. And one day he's going to save us and he's dealing with sin. But there's another part of the equation that's missing in me. And there's another part of the equation that's missing in you. Is that, yeah, God can forgive us of sins, but there's still something else that God wants. God wants perfection. And every single one of us, we, can, we, we say this all the time, no one's perfect. And then Paul says, Another connecting word here, not only has God saved us and dealt with the sin issue and is dealing with the sin issue, and one day we'll completely deal with it, that we can enter in by belief and trust. He uses another word in verse 17 and says, for, meaning there's more to this gospel. He says, for, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's what he's saying. What we think of biblical Christianity is that God has forgiven us of our sins, we're good to go, and he accepts us. God does not accept us because he's forgiven us of our sins. Um, If that were it, we would be on probation right now, right? Like Adam and Eve, if you think of it, they were kind of on probation. God says, hey, everything's good. You can walk with me, you can have me, we can walk together in life, but if you— if you eat this tree, right? He's like, if you eat, if you eat of this tree, it's gone. But what Paul is saying is, we are in a far better position than even Adam and Eve. And that sounds weird because you're like, they saw God. But if they did one thing, they lost it. Now, Jesus who comes, who's the true and better Adam, what he does for us in his life and his death and his resurrection, not only does he give us his spilt and shed blood and his broken body that we are forgiven, but what he's saying is now he lived that righteous life for us. And so the reason why we can say the gospel puts us in a better position than what Adam and Eve are in is even when we sin, God is going, the relationship is still there. It's still there. And we desperately need that. We, even, even at a, a deep level, not just on a theological level. I mean, think about it. If you could be honest with yourself, and you could be honest with people, and someone were ask you, like, what are your deepest needs? Like, what are the, what are the, what are the things that you really, really desire, right? You, your deepest needs. Not, not, not just food, not water. I mean, your deepest needs. At some level, grown men and young men, grown women and young women will say, to some degree, to be loved and to be accepted and to never lose it. Like, it's just to be completely loved completely embraced, completely accepted, and and not have to worry about losing it. Because every other philosophy, every other teaching, every other thing we give ourselves to, that's not, we don't get that. And all of us have this false God, every single one of us, Christian, non-Christian, and it's human approval. And it cripples us. We do what we do because of people. We don't do certain things because of people. It's either fear of rejection or trying to just win something from people. It's the reason why we lie every time. Every time we lie, why do we lie? Because we're sinners. No, there's something else there. Because I don't want you to know the truth about me because I want you to accept me. Um, we, we do, and, and we don't take risks. Some of you guys are sitting in jobs. You are sitting in majors. You are sitting in relationships because you don't want to take a risk because if you fail, oh, you're going to be seen as someone who put yourself out. And the flip side of that, some of us are really good. We're really driven because we don't want to be seen as failures. We want to be known as being successful. And all, none of these things are bad in themselves. But it shows that what we do, even Christians, like we want to be seen as good Christians. And so we, we, we put on these things around us to try to act like good Christians, which is an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a good Christian. Christians believe in a good God who has done something on their behalf. 
Here's what I mean by this. We can actually be really, really good people and trust in that, but deep down we know that that's not enough. My, my wife um, tells this story quite a bit, actually, of her father's office in their house, and it had um, this plaque or this display that said, what you do that you don't have to do makes you who you are. Like, what you do that you don't have to do, it makes you who you are. And she said that shaped her. Like, that was like, that's what it means to, to be good. And so she lived in the Lord, walked in the Lord, was good in school, all of those things. And then when she really began to understand the gospel more, what she realizes, no matter how good I am, no matter how many things I do that I don't have to do, that can't be my identity. Because that means my identity is based upon me. And so many of us, so many of us, and myself included, we find ourselves, our identity in our kids, we find it in our jobs and our spouses, our ability to do something good, or we find our identity in things that, that we don't do well, and, and that's why we're insecure, and it's just massive insecurity everywhere. And so what my wife says is no longer do I look at that as what I, have, what I do that I don't have to do makes me who I am, but what the gospel says and what Paul is saying in God's righteousness is what God, Jesus did that he didn't have to do makes you who you are. Like, who you are in Christ, the way that you were accepted by God is that God, who is righteous, who is perfect, who is without spot or blemish, he looks at you and says, yes, I will shed my blood for you in my son, Jesus Christ, but also I will make a way that you don't have to be on probation, that you can have a supreme confidence in who you are because you were created in my image and restored in my image, and I will give you my righteousness. Now, I'm going to throw a word at you, and, and it's a big word. But it's a word that I want all of you to understand. It's the word imputation. Christ imputed his righteousness to us. All that means is he didn't necessarily change us inside that we were just perfect, though he's given us his spirit that we can live his life. Imputation means the record that when, when, when God would look at the record of your life, your book with your name on it, and he'd see all the things you've done, good and bad, he goes, no, I can't really accept it. Imputation is God saying, Jesus coming in saying, it's rewritten. And it's rewritten with the precious blood of Christ, with the life of Christ, and the righteousness of God is a foreign righteousness. And the best picture of communicating imputation is if you've ever read or heard the story of David and Goliath. The story is David as a young boy shows up. Everyone in the Israelite army is afraid to fight this giant Goliath. And David shows up and he's like, listen, listen, I have a slingshot, right? I believe in God and I have a slingshot. Like everyone's like, are you kidding me? That's a giant, right? And he just rolls up. He trusts in God. Bam. Takes the giant down, beheads him literally, and just stands there and is like, this is God's victory. Now, here, here's what imputation comes in. The whole country receives the victory without lifting one finger. That David's victory was given to them. And what we know from the Bible is that story was just a picture of the one who would come who would go up against the biggest giant ever, right? Not our family, not our friend. Sin. We can't defeat it. And Jesus Christ, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, he conquered sin on our behalf. He becomes our righteousness. And now we receive all the victory that was due him. And we didn't do anything to earn it. Amen? And Paul says, when you get that, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, he, he, he said this now. When he wraps it up here, he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. Uh, He says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so just before that, when he says this righteousness is for faith, um, from faith, for faith, all he's saying is it starts with believing and trusting in God, 
It continues with believing and trusting in God, and it ends with believing and trusting in God. And the way you live, it says the righteous um, shall live by faith. Another translation is that, is that he who is righteous shall live by faith. Um, he who is by faith righteous, like not by family, not by moral records, not by behavior, not by money, not by education. He who in Jesus is righteous um, shall live. And so we close, I want you just to imagine what your life would look like if you just believe that. If you believe that the power of God is at work in your life to draw you to himself, it's at work in your life even in your besetting sin, and that God himself is saving you, that you are completely accepted, right? Loved and accepted, and there's nothing you can do. You did nothing to earn it, and you'll do nothing to lose it. Like, if you knew that you were completely accepted by God, and his acceptance matters the most, like, what, what would change in your life? Like, how would you love people? What would change in the way that you do work, the way that you do business? If you believe, in essence, if you really believe the gospel. And some of you are going, oh, he's talking to people who are here who are not Christian. No, if you're a Christian, I'm talking to you. What, what would that look like? What would it look like for our friends? What would it look like for our neighborhoods? Paul, I believe, has this in mind. That totality of transformation is when the presence of the kingdom of God enters in through the proclamation of the gospel. There's always a moment in the sermon that when the gospel is being communicated clearly, that all of us begin to stop and go, huh, either I got to think about that because I never believed or that's why I became a Christian. And that's why the people of God are the people of God. We see grace and we're just amazed by it. And we say, God, do it again in my life and through my life and the people around me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that you are good and you are better than what we thought. You, you continue to prove yourself to be even better. Not that you yourselves are changing, but in changing us, God, you are giving us a, a, a picture and a bigger picture of your glory. And Father, I, I know that in a room like this, Lord, people are just at different stages in their walk towards you, Lord. Many who have walked with you for years, Lord, are going through their own pain and suffering from decisions that have been made upon them or themselves. And God, your power is what we need. Many, Lord, have never believed and your power is what we need. And all of us, God, we need the power of your Holy Spirit to just impress upon us the goodness of who you are that would lead into continued change life, adoration, confession, and worship, Lord, in the totality of who we are. That we would understand belief, Lord, that we would lay our entire selves on you that you would work through us. And so, God, we praise you and we thank you for this celebration Sunday in which we get to hear from you, sing to you, and see your work through baptism, through the spoken word, and even now, Lord, as we come and we take communion. God, we thank you for what you're up to. God, is good news. And we pray for this city, that your good news would continue to infuse, to penetrate, and transform it, that it would see and know the beauty of Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.